not happen for an age. What's that? It is a gathering. And welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast, all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. This is episode 76, and it's the long-awaited, well, perhaps not long-awaited, but certainly long-teased ahead to uh, episode all about the Lincoln Slow Grow League. This is the Imps Slow Grow Part 4. So, um, as I've mentioned over the last few months, um, this has been sort of rumbling in the background. Um, I've been slowly building an army and uh, playing the odd game with local people it's been really cool to do it and um, I keep saying I'll publish this at some point uh, the league having finished already and um, now is the time now is the opportunity so uh, I'm really excited to uh, sort of delve into these games that uh, that I've played sometimes uh, as many as six months ago which is um, is crazy so um it's great it's great to have it and also it will be the not the the final ever but it'll certainly be the last um one with the numenorians for a while because this was this was the the growth of the army uh, essentially and you'll hear sort of my assessment of the army throughout the uh, the various different games um at various different point le- points levels so that's cool. We're going to do that. Um, if you don't know what a slow grow league is, um, check out the previous podcast I've done on this. We've done four in Lincoln so far. Uh, I ran the first one, and uh, Tim Elvis has taken over the roles for the last few. And it's basically helped build our Lincolnshire scene. Um, we've got about four uh, Great British Hobbit League tournaments um, or tournament organisers, anyway, um, in Lincolnshire now. Uh, sort of mostly centred around Lincoln, but also Grantham, which is um, a really easy place to get to because it's on the A1. So um, if you're interested uh, in tournaments there's some uh, little ones going on there we've got uh, uh, the next episode actually going to be a little a, a seriously little tournament at uh, in Lincoln which is uh, a, a armies of 200 points which will be very interesting we'll find out about that next episode but uh, this one is all about the slow grow and um, Tim came up with this idea for the slow grow to try and encourage newer players again so there's sort of a slightly different format um, it's not sort of it's by no means prescriptive because ultimately people want to pick up some toys and they want to play games and they want to slowly do that um so it was five games over 15 weeks starting at 400 points so you start on 400 end on the last game uh, the fifth game will be 800 points and um yeah you just you just enjoy building your army i guess and learning it and sort of understanding a bit how it goes and making sure it's painted and all that sort of stuff but they also have a cool point system so um uh, Tim's introduced this idea of a victory points based system which actually doesn't rely on you winning um, so that you essentially you're still focusing on uh, tournament points or sort of victory points sorry um, but winning doesn't really matter so actually a 12 all a draw um, is the is the best outcome for everyone because it means everyone gets more points so here, here's how it works you get uh, if you get naught to four victory points in a game, you get zero um, tournament points. If you get five to eight, you get one. And if you get nine to 12, you get two. Um, and if you have painted your army, you get an extra two. Um, and if your army is a legendary legion, it's minus one. And if your uh, army contains a hero whose points value is uh, greater than a third of your army value, minus one. So um, this, is, uh, this is his way of saying, I don't like legendary legions. I don't want you to have any um, sort of 
massive uber heroes that are going to just ruin um, a new new player's time so bringing Sauron at 400 points for your first game a bit mean um so that's that's an interesting way of doing it but also the, the tournament point structure just just a little different just to kind of encourage um just encourage people to still chase those um victory points even if you know everything else seems utterly lost so you know killing that leader getting the uh, the general um, kill and getting the break, for example, even though you know you've lost the the scenario on, for example, seize the prize or something like that. If you get the get five victory points, you can still uh, go away with a tournament point and um, you know it might improve your league position for it. So that's a cool idea. So with that in mind, we've got um, yeah, we've got we've got five games to get through. So uh, all of the players that I'll be playing, I think, uh, are going to be um, pretty new players to the system. But it'll be intriguing to know what's inspired them to join Lord of the Rings at this time. Was it the Rings of Power series? Was it something else? Was it just the fact that it, the game is growing and Lincoln has a really nice scene for it now? We'll find out over the course of this episode. But first, we need to know what we're going to start. Yes, that's right. We're building the army. And as alluded to, we are going to be building the Numenor army. So this this is, of course, uh, this is a long... Let's take, take the long approach uh, on this one because uh, I built this, wrote this army in sort of basically the turn of the, the year, so the start of 2023. I've, I've since twiddled with um, uh, the Numenorean army. I've sort of worked out what I think works and what I think doesn't work. So um, st- some of this is kind of uh, hearing the the progression of my kind of mental state about the Numenor army list as I as I go through. And, you know, you might notice little tweaks of what have changed and how I've subtly sort of removed or added things um, and refocused perhaps the uh, the 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 ideas about what what makes this good uh, or what makes this list bad. So um, it's it, it kind of I think it's going to be an interesting one to listen through uh, in one go because it's six months of of sort of thought process compressed into uh, an hour or thereabouts and um, you might you might learn a bit about um, how my opinions have changed or, or not on Numenor over the course of that time. So with that in mind. We're going to build the first army, so 400 points. And um, back in there, uh, back in the early days, I didn't have as many of my heroes built uh, or painted. And um, I basically didn't really care about Tim's idea of minus one um, point for having more th- uh, one hero that's more than a third of your points cost. So I went with Elendil as a starting point because he's just the cool one and I like him. And I've since, I've, I've rabbited on about him a lot over the last few podcasts. So, um, or certainly uh, over the last six months worth of podcasts. Um, he's just awesome and he's so cool. It is. It's just one of the one of the more fun um, heroes I've I've been able to play with. I, I love the the pressure of the the free heroic combat. It doesn't feel overpowered because it's not like just free. Um, it's not like free might. It's although obviously it is a free point of might. Um, there's something about it that just means that it's the threat range. It's the it's something else, but it is it is sort of relatively it's possible to counter. So I, I really do like that. Um, so Elendil on his horse with a shield, and accompanying him are eight Numenorean warriors with shield and spear, five with shield, one with banner shield and spear, and four with bow and spear. Um, so you've got exactly a full legendary hero warband, nineteen models at four hundred points. So 
pretty solid. And obviously the limit here is I don't have a big, uh, you know, I don't have a, a widespread of people. I don't have lots of stuff, but I had lots of might, sorry, but 19 models, 400 points. I think I really rated this one. So that's the starting point for the list. Um, you know, I'll add heroes, I'll take heroes away, and I will slowly build the army over the course of the podcast, and we'll hear about each of those between each game uh, later on. But there's your sort of starting point, um, a bit of bit of thought uh, about whether that's good or bad. Will it survive? How will it do in its first game later on? We'll find out. But first... Christians. Christians that need answering. That's right, we have questions. Questions that need answering. And this is the, the part of the podcast where I just respond to your emails and we'll have a bit of a delve into the inbox and maybe tease you ahead with a bit of a question. And um, I think the last one, I haven't renewed the question for a while. Um, I've got um, just a vague topic going on about new army thinking, uh, as it were, just how how or why you might start a podcast, uh, how or why you might start collecting a certain army. So... Um, how wide start a podcast? God, who 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 could imagine? Uh, right, uh, let's so let's delve into the inbox and see what people said. And this is quite uh, just shows how long it's been since the last podcast. This email was from the fourth of June, so uh, let's delve into this one. It's from Michael Haskell, friend of the show. Uh, what an absolute legend! Hi, Michael. I hope you're listening. Uh, thanks very much for sending an email. You asked in the last end moot about how each of us decide on a new army. For me, there are several factors. The army has to have something interesting and appealing to me about it it has to have the right vibe in terms of the middle uh, middle earth milieu both at the tolkien level and in the jacksonian vision we saw on celluloid and aesthetically the models need to look cool and ideally have variety if all those boxes are ticked for uh, are ticked i'd go for it it's then just a question of this new project jostling all the others before it sees the light on the tabletop yeah i think i think those those pretty much tick all the boxes for me as well um i i this the the interesting and appealing bit um is I think it's an interesting one because I think all of us want to go for something that's interesting and appealing, but our tastes change over time. Because there are certainly armies that um, early on I sort of thought, oh, I'm not going to not going to want to collect that, um, or you know, I don't know, I'm trying like elves. I never really wanted to collect that, but um, having painted some Lothlorien uh, Rumil in particular recently, I thought actually, you know what, maybe maybe I do like that, um, but you change your mind don't you and then you sort of think oh actually that's cooler than i thought it would be and then you just go on something else and then that's that and it's it becomes just becomes what you want isn't it and i guess we're all fickle aren't we that's why we all have so many projects uh, on the go uh wade hudson all has also been in touch thanks michael for that one um late response to your question that needed answering he said uh, due to my slow reply uh you released your next podcast before i can start writing in uh, this email but i wanted to write in regardless I feel like there's a vast array of reasons for my impulsive army creations, either being cool rules or synergies, amazing looking models, or the chance to try something completely different to normal, including trying something that's regarded as rubbish to see if I can make it work. That's exactly what I do, Wade, because I've done the whole let's make Numenor great again and (laughs) Easterlings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, It's kind of my thing. Um, And I I can't make any of them work, but yeah, it's a good reason. But the main reason I can say that I start new armies, uh, Wade continues, is just to expand my collection and immerse myself further into the storylines of the books and films and create my own adventures and stories. I attended my second ever tournament on the weekend and was so awed by all the different armies and factions. No two armies appear the same in MESBG, unlike other GW gaming systems, which makes it so interesting to play. 
I noted that you previously asked a question about a Harad list you theorised, and don't recall you reading out any responses. I wondered how this eventuated, because out of all the factions, Serpent Horde is the one I always return to. I hope this interest is still there. I'd like to hear how you could make the Golden King of Abrakan great, as you push for this, as uh, as your push for this with Easterling seemed to herald the coming of the great Dragon Emperor. But a quick note is that the Emperor profile and the Hasharin, while super fun profiles, don't seem competitive in the wider game in the slightest. Serpent Horde armies really do need Suladan and a mass amount of warriors to do anything amazing on the tabletop. If you revisit this army, I'd love to weigh in a bit more heavily, but noting your preference for short emails, I've tried to keep this to a minimum. Keep up with the uh, keep up the great uh, work with the podcast. It seems to be inspiring lots of people in the hobby around the world. Oh, that's really nice. Uh, regards, uh, wait... Ah, okay, good. Uh, right, so he has a PS that says don't read out at the end. Um, thank you very much, Wade. Um, yeah, no, the, the, the Serpent Horde thing, it's interesting. Um, I can't remember what got me on that mode for a brief period. It was probably just that I was writing a list for something or I just saw a model and I theorised something. And, um, yeah, I did get some... <laughs> a few people said it was a bad list. Um, I think Darren, uh, who was in the last podcast, pointed out how poor it was to me. Um, but I maybe... I, I definitely... W- there's no maybe about it. I will return to Serpent Horde because I've always wanted to have the Horde of Serpent Horde. And so far, I think most of the... Um, uh, the only kind of harad I've ever done is really Mummox. But I will do it. And in terms of your other points... Yeah, I think you're right. It's just the mixture of factions and armies and the way they work in the game do make it does make this this game more interesting than some systems. And I think that's why it's easy to flip from one uh, back to the other and you know pick one up and pick a new project up and move on from it. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I, but I like that, Wade. Thanks very much for getting in touch. Appreciate it. Now uh, let's get to the next one. This is from Aiden Noon. Hello, Aiden. Um, dear Harry, I'm confident you have a section in your pod about questions that need answers. Apologies, I can't remember if you set them, the questions, or we do. Hmm. I wondered if you could shed some light on the eBay seller Goldflesh bl- bl- Gold Blue. You, uh, could you send some of your Moria Goblins, Crabane, or Bill Fernie to try and investigate? I'm sure of where, the, where I'm sure you are aware of this eBay seller who quite legally seems to sell the most horrendously overpriced SBG models on eBay. I'm fascinated to know if his business model works. Does he actually provide a service that people appreciate? Goldfish Blue seems to crop up in Facebook group discussions at least every three months. Never positive. He's become a bit infamous. Can you offer us any insight or investigative journalism into the seller? Can you name the seller? Can you get an interview? I feel sure. I feel sure his name and reputation must put people off from buying him, but cle- uh, buying from him, but clearly not. Is there another side to him or his business that could counter the perceived animosity towards him? Have you ever bought from him? Given the lack of SBG news or releases, perhaps you would consider this quest. Request, Aiden Noon. Aiden, I will come back to this um, because uh, I'll, I'll I'll just read the, the other emails and I'll come back to this. Okay, Carl Tinsley has also been in touch. Um, how's it going? I know we're far beyond the topic, but I recently had a thought on 3D printing in the hobby that I felt like I wanted to share. I don't use 3D printing gaming pieces, terrains and tokens, however, it is a fair game. My gaming group rarely used 3D printed items either until recently. All of a sudden, there's been a boom in 3D printed armies amongst my friends, and I do not like it. It's not that I think the models are bad, or that they should be supporting Games Workshop. My, mine is that... Uh, for me, it is that for me, collecting is part of the hobby. I take pride and enjoyment at gathering the models I want slash need. This can take a lot of time, effort and money. But once I have them, I love it. Now people are turning up with armies that have taken a lot. 
that I have taken a lot of time in putting together, but they haven't put much, but they have put much less effort into. Maybe I'm jealous. For comparison, imagine a stamp collector claiming to have a complete con- a complete collection, but they made the stamps themselves. I don't think it'd go down well in their community. In all honesty, I'm glad it lowers the barrier to entry to gaming. Outwardly, I'll tell you, your armies look great and have a super fun time playing the game. Inwardly. I'm judging you for cheating the collection process. I hope my opinion is not too salty. Keep up the good work. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? Uh, this is a bit that I don't think... I, we, maybe we did touch on this when we did the 3D printing topic a few episodes ago. Um, do have a look back if you if you want to get more on it. Um, but I definitely think this is a part of it for me, uh, is that I just... I want the models. I want the collection of Games Workshop models. I've grown up with them as being desirable things and i want them and i want to collect them and no matter what you say to me about i don't know what the these 3d 3d printed models so for example the numenor army that uh, we're going to be talking about over the course of the episode you could tell me uh, till you're blue in the face that the um uh, that the 3d printed versions are better than the spear old metal spear guys and the little plastic ones i, I just won't care they're great models, I agree. Some of the Numenorian models that I've seen are fantastic. Um, they're sort of proxies. I don't, I don't know, just don't want them. <laughs> they don't, they, they have no place in my heart, and maybe that's to do with it. Is that I like the collection element of it. Thank you so much for uh, for getting in touch, Carl, um, and uh, really appreciate that. Uh, I just want to quickly mention this one. Uh, Matthew Throughmantle's been in touch. He says, I've been going through a bit of hobby motivation lull lately due to uh, my OCD at wanting my toy soldiers to be perfect, and I just cannot get edge highlighting to look good, so frustration has set in. It's been a few weeks since I've picked up a paintbrush, despite lots to paint. Today I received a large letter in the post, and it was like Christmas come early. Inside was the SBG magazine that I was fortunate to win in your most recent YouTube live stream, as well as some lovely Patreon goodies. Seeing these have given me the motivation I need to pick up the bushes and carry on, so very much looking forward to reading the magazine, so thank you again many thanks for the excellent podcast and youtube content matt oh p.s hope the wedding goes well and you have a brilliant day thank you uh, matthew uh, matthew's a new patreon uh, if you want to find out more about that patreon.com slash battle games in middle earth and uh, he he won the uh, the sbg magazine which is fantastic by the way uh, alex temple alex battle camper temple is uh, has written a fantastic article excuse me in that magazine about um his his sort of journey to being a rohan player and um it's just it's hilarious and the battle reports are always brilliant terrain guides are amazing uh, i would highly recommend the sbg magazine if you can uh, well worth it um uh, hi to damien and tom if you're listening um so there you go that's matthew Fremantle. he's very very chuffed and very happy now back to aiden so aiden got in touch about goldfish blue goldfish blue goldfish blue i have done some work investigation work in the past and I thought this is a good idea it's a really good idea in fact um, have having said that I'm afraid I've had no luck in delving too far into uh, into this this situation so I don't really know how to kind of talk about this but I know essentially See, Aidan, you've asked the question, something along the lines of, you know, who is this person? Um, who are they? Uh, you know, can can you shed some light on this? You know, how do they make their business work? Um, I've. It, it's not hard to find this person. It's a limited company. 
I know where they. I found out where they live. Um, it's it's not that difficult to do. Um, I could I could probably go. I could literally go and knock, knock on the door. I don't want to do that. Um, not because I I don't think it's interesting because it certainly is interesting. I'd love to speak to them. Uh, I've got in touch with them. Try to get hold of them. See if they're interested in talking. Um, but they won't. Um, uh, or they haven't responded. I should it should be uh, more clear about. Uh, so I, I, I'll say I'll tell you what I'll tell you what I've said to them. I'm a podcaster in the world of Warhammer with a focus on the Middle Earth strategy battle game. One of my listeners emailed me asking if I'd be able to find out a bit more about Goldfish Blue from eBay. They were dot dot dot. Let's put it nicely, not very kind. <laughs> uh, I also find it fascinating. I'm impressed someone as a business and limited company listed at Company's House and clearly makes a decent living selling Warhammer on eBay. I often talk about different topics on the podcast and wondered if you'd be up for a chat about your eBay shop. If I'm honest. I don't expect you to say yes, because I've seen the hate directed you in, in the past, so would understand your reluctance. So I'm happy for a conversation. <clears throat> Sorry, so I'm happy for a conversation uh, before we record anything anyway. I don't want to open uh, you up to hate, just fascinated by the world of second-hand toy soldiers. Feel free to ignore or open up a dialogue on this before we commit to anything. You may want to use it as a chance to chastise time wasters, for example. Anyway, let me know your thoughts. And I haven't heard anything back, and I did follow up with a second email as well. So, Aidan, um, I think your your questions are fairly valid. They, I mean, uh, you say, you know, he crops up in Facebook group discussions um, in a negative way pretty pretty regularly. Uh, people sort of screenshot um, uh, items that are available in the Games Workshop website and and point out why, why is this person selling them at three times the price, etc., etc., etc. And... You've you've said can you name the seller? I, I'm not going to name the seller. Um, I can. I don't want to. You can find it out easily enough. Um, it, it it didn't. It took me like five minutes to find his name. Um, but I wanted I wanted to throw this out because you did say this is a question that I need answering. Essentially, uh, to to cut a long story short, Goldfish Blue sells SPG models on eBay. Um, most of them seem to be legit models. Sometimes they're not. Um, or sometimes they're early um, or sort of pre-release stuff. What do you think about this as a as a fan of the podcast, as a fan of the the game? Do you like the fact that someone is potentially um, exploiting people's uh, uh, sort of fandom? Uh, it, it's it's a complex one because part of me thinks he he you can buy whatever you want and try and sell it on eBay at whatever price you want. If people don't buy it fine you know but if people do buy it also fine um i don't know whether it's exploiting people who who you know don't know that games workshop still sells the the models or what i just don't understand it myself i would love to speak to goldfish blue but i also want to know what your opinion on this is so if you have an opinion on goldfish blue you have an opinion on what i suppose is sort of loosely called scalping um get in touch entmootpodcast at gmail.com is the email address i'm really keen to to get a variety of opinion on this because you know people uh, there are lots of you out there who i'd imagine have sold stuff secondhand i've sold stuff secondhand i've sold stuff at normal prices i've sold stuff that's perhaps considered overpriced in the past uh, i sold a dragon emperor that i got given for free um because uh some bits were missing and i got a bit of hate for that because people said well, you got it for you. You said in the post you got it for free. So why are you, 
why 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 wouldn't you just give it away for free and i was like well it's not worth free it's worth 80 quid so i sold it for less than whatever the uh, uh, the asking part the rip was but you know i wasn't going to give it away for free so um what do you think uh, is 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 it bad is goldfish blue just bad or do you care if if they're not going to hurt you do you, are you bothered Podcast at gmail.com is it is it right to is it ever right to sell or scalp SBG models um, at a price far far above their RIP or far far above the value that they are on the Games Workshop website? Let me know. Entmoodpodcast at gmail So with that in mind, we've done uh, the building the army. So we've got our four hundred point list. Uh, so that was uh, Ellen Dill and some dudes. Now it's time to, I mean, it's not a very far adventure, but now it's time to go on an adventure and play the very first game in our SBG Slogo. Let's crack on. Here, Mr. Robo, where are you off to? Stop, I'm already late. Late for what? I'm going on an adventure. So, game one of the Slowgo League, uh, Lord of the Imps, and I've got my Elendil and my Numenor. It's all very exciting. We're playing against uh, Mihalis in the first round um, in a game of domination. So, first of all, 400 points, uh, Slowgo. So, we've got to bear that in mind that this, this is kind of your first outing in, in this, this scene. Is that right? It's my first league tournament sort of setting. Played with friends in the past five, ten games max, no more sort of casual, probably always just kill as many models as possible and see what happens. Um, so it's been super interesting to actually come and play against someone who knows some of the rules and kind of coach me a little bit. Well, I'd like to say I did point you in the right direction, but that doesn't mean that, as the result will reveal in a few minutes' time, that doesn't necessarily mean I made any sensible decisions myself. But first, just before we get into talking about your army, what drew you to Lord of the Rings? Was it the, was it the lore? Is it the gameplay? Or is it just one of those games that you've you played ages ago, maybe when you were growing up and then wanted to pick up again? Yeah, of course. I think like probably like most people that are into Middle Earth, it's the books and the films growing up. It's, it, I think it really changes your development um, and it changes the kind of things you're interested in. I definitely picked up the models when I was growing up, the magazines, and I think that's how, probably how most people get into it. I think I probably had a lot of the same models, um, the elves, Minas Tirith, um, and then just coming back into it over lockdown. Um, thinking about my hobby projects, so I wanted to start with that. Um, pick up like the Rivendell Minister from where sort of where I started, um, and then getting back into gameplay, and it's just been such a such a learning curve, but really interesting and really fun just to kind of recapture your youth, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned before that you, you play uh, kill team as well, so kind of similar sort of smaller maybe models, more about the movement, less about the kind of big battles potentially but we'll get there because it's, it's a slow go that's the whole point point. and so uh, in terms of slow go you've got 400 points to spend and what did you go for uh, so yeah we've gone last alliance um, just sort of looking through the rules and I realized that the fight five on the elves is really strong and when I read that the the fight in a in a combat is determined by the highest fight value then why would not throw in some strength for Numenorians um, I've picked up kind of an interesting Numenorian list um, then we use some uh, some Athenian hoplites just for a bit of spice um, to throw in some uh, with the Rivendell. Um, I think it, it's worked quite well. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so you just just to summarise it, you've got a sealed door, you've got a rest door, yeah. you've got a, a Rivendell Knight in there as well. Yeah. I think was it about six or seven Numenorean spears, yeah. something like that, and then the rest of them are elves with a couple of bows in there. Yeah, so I think the the elf shield wall, um, I think that's really strong. Uh, you've got defense six, fight five, and then you've got the strength four uh, Numenorean spear wall behind. Um, we didn't really make too much use of shooting, uh, but I think that could be quite useful. We've got a few bows in there. Um, a restore, absolutely pulled his weight for 85 points. He's just, I think he's kind of crazy. And then, um, of course, you've got a sealed door on a horse, strength yes. five with the ring, fight six. What else could you want? Exactly. I didn't realize just how powerful a sealed door is. You see a Lendl and you see his free heroic combats, his plus one to wound. And you kind of, I don't know if you forget about a sealed door, but he can do almost all the work. You get him in there, you, you combat with him. Um, I think we had an interesting moment with some strikes, and he can do a lot of wounds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly against defense five models, like uh, as we as we definitely found out. And um, so with that, um, we it was d- domination. So we have a central objective, and then the the scattering of objectives. Quite a lot of terrain on this board. Lots of little walls, lots of little choke points, all that sort of stuff. And um, so uh, we have actually played another game since the domination game we're talking about. But um, the the deployment, I basically put everything on the front line in the central objective, which is because uh, I went first, um, which allowed you to kind of pick and choose where you put your guys. But there are a lot of choke points in the middle there, which I guess favours you. Do you think that was that was sort of the starting point of where it all went wrong for me? Yeah, I think that's it was, it was big. Um, I think if you'd let me deploy first, or if I had deployed first, it would have been very different. Um, you'd laid out in a line, and I could choose with where the terrain was placed to maybe throw five guys in with loads of spear supports. And at that point... We're having the, the same number of swords in the fight, but I've got a higher fight value with maybe a couple more spear supports. Um, and from there, just positioning a couple of guys to try and stop Elendil breaking out. Um, and then I can sort of think about flanking, blocking off lanes. Um, and I think that's maybe what sort of helped at the start. And you, at that point, were kind of backed into some difficult terrain behind you where you couldn't really navigate around and make leverage. Exactly, yeah. I think, I, I mean, there's this tiny little wall that's sticking out from a, a Rohan um, building there and uh, just, just in there that, that essentially, I, I, I don't know what I was... I think initially I was thinking you're probably going to stay quite far back because, as I say, I, I, I went first. I thought you've got the three... Even though you've got only three bows compared to my four, I thought the elven shooting, you might want to just stick back, shoot a bit at me and all that sort of stuff. So I thought if I deploy Elendil behind a wall or gravy, uh, I don't get necessarily shot off my horse straight away. And then I had a line in, uh, next to the wall to kind of almost like a, a wall and then Numenorean line. Um, but it, that just meant that I had a load of dudes in front of Elendil and he never really got into the fight. Um, I think you charged in the first turn. Uh, I didn't call her out move because I thought, well, there's no point. Elendil's going to be not in combat anyway I'll save the mic for later on there's going to be a lot of strikes at some point and sadly I think that just meant that um, Elendil was left out of the fight and by the time he got there all the Numenoreans are dead yeah. uh, for t- is he 200 points 210 something yeah like he's that. half my army 200 yeah. points he's got to make a lot of work happen and he wants to do it straight away move into combat try and get his well he gets his free heroic combat he's probably going to chew through some elves mm. and, and start getting his points back but I think because he was just out maybe two turns where he didn't really get much use out of him at that point the the elves and just managed to get a few kills and kind of push it in the, in the last line's favour. And crucially, uh, Isildur and Arrestor were doing the work. I mean, you've got the you've got two attacks on Arrestor strength four. He's and uh, he's rerolling wounds and. Yeah. 
uh, Isildur was absolutely chopping. He was doing the business. I think it was two a turn th- for the first couple of turns, and then he was doing heroic combat, so it became four a turn after that. And and somehow I just never never got Alan Dill into, into the fight until far too late. Yeah, I think he was doing what Alan Dill really wanted to do. Mm. Um, and like I say, I was really surprised with just how much killing he can actually do. I feel like unless you're whiff... Um, you can get two kills a turn against these defense five Numenorians. I think it's quite comfortable. And if you if you time your combat just about right, you can make a good breakthrough and get into some get into some good models. So I did have a chance um, to sort of pull it back at the point where because it was it ends on uh, a quarter and I and I was about sort of four models away from um, being quartered or it might have even been less than that. So I just pulled my everyone back and basically sort of sent Ellendale in, give it give it all on his own and it was he had points of might at that point so it was all down to who struck first if I'd have won uh, or if I'd have got the higher strike I think um, he probably would have either killed uh, Isildur or Arrestor um, one or the other but you had loads of other dudes in there as well but if you won you would kill Elendil and that would basically end the game and the you, you wisely put both your heroes in struck with both of them uh, put a all of the, as many dice as you possibly could, so you knew that you couldn't possibly lose the fight if you got the higher strike than me. And obviously, you did get the higher uh, strike than me because you got two chances at it, and I rolled a one as well anyway. So it was all uh, it was all a moot point really. But I think if had that strike gone my way, it might have killed a, a sealed or I might have been able to maybe chop through a couple of extra dudes because you'd have been out of might with the rest or. But it's a lot of ifs and buts. Yeah, I think even at that point, he's going to struggle to get enough work and get the points back um, for the victory conditions mm. and actually claiming enough objectives because at that point you've got five guys left so you're probably going to struggle to actually capture the other objectives. Yeah, of course. I've forgotten to mention domination. You'd you'd immediately send a guy back on each objective whereas I, I kind of had two that were, I could possibly claim but even then they, you had a Rivendell Knight wandering around the building to try and claim one at the back and there was another one in the corner that, that was being slowly taken off me so so I think this was a, a fine example of, of me having a nice chat with you at the start of the game thinking oh this is going to be nice relaxing and all that sort of stuff and just not really engaging mind when I was deploying so much can be done uh, lost in a game in the deployment of your models and if you play if you set yourself up badly at the start you're basically setting yourself up to lose and that's exactly what I did here yeah, it's, it's very difficult, um, especially when you're deploying first and you don't know what your enemy's going to do. Mm. And you've got a one one warband here, so it's one drop, and then just see how I respond. Mm. I think if I drop first and then you'd manage to counter that, it would have been a big difference. Yeah. Um, I think maybe more with dom- domination, but as soon as you've managed to push past the center field and you've got your two home objectives safe, and I think something Numenor maybe struggles with is you don't have any fast units apart mm. from maybe like 75 point captains on horses and you don't really want to be sending one of those so injected by himself so yeah and certainly not not in this the 400 point anyway um so maybe maybe the combination was poor uh, army list choice might not be ideal for this sort of points level anyway because i'm investing so much in ellendale but either way um I, I, you absolutely smashed me 12 nil in the fer- uh, very first game as you say you're, you're new to it but you're not new to games um so uh, un- uh, so i can't can't say you're a complete beginner but um at least i'll take i'll take that one to the grave um, but uh, to be fair we also played a second game afterwards we played a game of lords of battle um which um, was was a little i suppose a little bit more interesting in the sense that we um it was a little bit more evenly matched. I think I, I don't know actually what the tally. You still won, but the tally was 25 kills on your side to 15 of mine, and uh, I still lost. But I, I, I was just saying at the end. I think generally, um, last alliance against pure Numenor is probably often going to lose because you just have a five-five. Yeah, I, w- I would wonder what Rivendell versus last alliance would look because you've got higher strength, I've got higher fight. Mm. It might be a little bit more even, but. 
really last line so you've got the best of both worlds i think in a in a straight on shield war you're going to struggle and you really need elendil to do a, a lot of work yeah um, i'm not sure how well she would just sort of counter this list in a pure sort of numbers game when you're trying to just do as many kills as possible especially at low points because you've got uh, you all, all it takes is your one big hero to whiff if i had two you know say if it was 600 points and i've got and a sealed door and I don't know whatever those two and then at least the, you know you're not relying solely on that one hero and if and in this the second game I spent I had to spend two points on my or I thought I had to spend two points on my uh, to protect um, Elendil from losing his horse which put me out of my and all these sorts of things so so it's it's one of those things that that um, you're just relying very heavily on a big hero which I guess is is why you don't put a 200 point hero into a 400 point army <laughs> I spent uh, I think I think he, he probably could do work I mean, he's he's fun he's fun um saying that you did make some really good plays i think where we sort of set up this time um i had to try to draw you in um, but it meant i was in a choke point you were in a choke point and you made some really good traps at some good moments um i think i got lucky near the end and there was no might on the table i got a priority i think three turns in a row so i could sort of dictate where i was going mm. before that you were doing some really good traps and weren't really letting me leverage um Asildo, I think he was in one guy a turn for a couple of turns, and I think if it if it kept going that way, we'd, it'd be a lot closer. If not, I think he might have won. Um, so I think it was just maybe a bit unlucky there, and you, you definitely played to the best of Numenor in the in the second game. I think you did did really well. I'm doing Numenor proud. That's what that's all that's important. So, uh, Mahalis, thank you very much for for the game. Best of luck in the rest of the uh, slow grow league. Um, I wonder, I. I it's 200 points uh, extra onto your list. What are you, what are you thinking of adding? Because I think, at, if I'm, I'm right in thinking, you're probably maxed out on the Elven Warband, but you've got room for more Numenorians. But uh, there's, there's, even then, you'll probably, I don't know, you'll have maybe another five, maybe another six, another seven. So what are you adding for the, ne the rest of the 200 points that you've got there? So I guess more Numenorians and maybe another hero. Yeah. I think we've learned that banners are very important. 100%, yeah. You didn't have one, and I did, and it, and, it, and it was very frustrating for you at times. Yeah. I think when I was list building, I, I was sort of saying, oh, I'm going to lose two, three bodies to get a banner in. Is it worth it? But really, you show me, especially when we're tight in like this, and almost all your combats are getting the rerolls. You've you've got basically three guys on two in every combat, and it makes it made such a difference. And I think you won a couple of crucial fights, mm. and it definitely helped. So I'd definitely be adding a banner. Mm. Um, in terms of heroes... I would love to get maybe Kurdan in there, but I don't know if he's a little bit cheesy. Um, so maybe maybe a captain. I'm not sure. It depends on the game mode we're playing. It might be useful to get some some marches off. Um, well, from a uh, word on the street is that it's Storm the Camp next. So I, I reckon you're right. Uh, a captain, some mobility, um, a banner, definitely, and and that might might be enough. But but hey, bodies, more Numenorians, more elves is always a good yeah. good shout. So uh, well, either way, whatever you add to it, uh, best of luck with the next round and best of luck in the uh, slogan itself. Thank you very much, and best of luck to you too. Um, just want to say, amazing coach. Thank you very much. I thought there was a couple of moments where you sort of mentioned, well, you can strike with two heroes at once that I didn't realise, or you can move this guy into here that I didn't realise, um, and it just made it a lot more enjoyable to play um, when it's not super strict and you can have a little bit of room to learn, and I guess it just makes you both better players long run. So. Absolutely. Well, that's what the slogan is all about. Thanks very much. Mahalis there, and what a lovely thing for him to say right at the end there. I mean, I only paid him about a fiver, uh, so he, he didn't have to say quite as many nice things about me and uh, my coaching, as he called it. Um, 
but uh, no in all seriousness uh, Mahalis lovely chap and uh, it's been a long time since uh, since I uh, we played that game so uh, a real pleasure real pleasure um, it's nice to listen to it back there um, obviously not ideal in terms of results for the slow grow but as, as Mahalis said it's you know it's about just having a couple of games and testing out an army so let's move on to the next one so we're building another army and based on the performance of Mahalis's Isildur I thought alright okay let's let's try him out because as you know um, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time you'll know that I, I kind of I've been resistant and maybe stupidly resistant unfairly resistant but either way I've been resistant to the the sort of uh, the temptation of Isildur and I feel like now's the time and the first uh, one with 400 points I thought if I had a Isildur um, I'd, I'd be able to get 15 models plus a Isildur which is sort of somewhere in the region of 300 points so uh, I'd need something else and then you get a captain in for 75 um, and you don't really have any more models so it felt a little bit like I'd be I don't know I, I just thought I'd be a bit too low but at 500 points we're looking good so I've got in my list two for the 500 points slow grow game game number two we've got a sealed door mounted with shield and ring uh, we've got Numenorian with banner, spear, and shield. One, uh, sorry, nine warriors with spear and shield. Two bowmen with spears. Two Numenorians with, uh, sorry, three Numenorians with shield. A captain who's got a horse. He's got a lance. He's got an armor. He's got a shield. Uh, he's seventy-five points. He's good. Um, then we've got eight more warriors with spear and shield. Two with bow and spear, and two with shield. So. All in all, we've got 29 models and we've got a sealed or a ring. It's pretty good. It's looking pretty good, right? Um, so I, I, I really rate this army at 500 points, actually. Um, I think it has real potential. But how will it do on the tabletop? Let's find out. So game two of the slow grow, 500 points, and we're playing Storm the Camp and playing up against Ben Chivers. Or Chivers? Chivers? Chivers, Chivers Ben Chivers. Uh, ben, first of all, if you could just run us through 500 points, what have you brought for the uh, for the league? So today I bought Halls of Thranduil, no allies. Um, today's the first time I bought Thranduil as my leader. He's tooled out with a heavy armour and the second sword, which really makes him excellent. My second hero is I bought Tauriel, because he's a bit more points efficient than Legolas, although I prefer Legolas. Uh, in this list, it's mainly made up of the Mirkwood Armoured Elves, which are the basic foot soldiers of the force. Uh, some with shields, some with the two-handed glaives, which are excellent, and four with bows. And then finally, four of the rangers, mainly because that's the only models I've got painted. <laughs> yeah, so you've got something like 19 uh, elves, but uh, so... Fairly low on numbers, but they're elves, so they're you know they're pretty decent. And these elves are pretty good elves because they've got the uh, lots of buffs surrounding Thranduil. You've got the plus one to wound when you're within three inches of Thranduil, which is which is fantastic, isn't it? It's excellent. Yeah, it's a little nugget in the middle where I have Thranduil giving the plus one to wound to the armored elves. Also took the banner in there for that reroll because I've got the higher fight value. So that 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 block in the middle really did a lot of work, and it's it's excellent. Yeah. yeah. So so we both lost our, our first games twelve nil. So we're we're down in the doldrums. But uh, when you saw my army on the table, I know you're relatively new to the game. Did you sort of have a plan in mind? Did you fancy your chances? Or, uh, you know, did you have any particular stratagems that you you hoped to use? Not really, because I'm quite new to the game and I bought Thranduil. What I really wanted to do was get Thranduil and see what he can do. Mm. So my main idea was to basically respond to you, but essentially move move my block of Armoured Elves with Thranduil and the Sentinel and the Banner 
up into the middle and just see what they can do in combat. And that's pretty much what happened. We had a fight in the middle of the board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you also sent some cavalry. You had, I don't think you mentioned them in your list. You meant, had two uh, men called cavalry, which had a kind of, kind of a flanking force. And I, I sent probably, I think it was eight Numenorians and uh, a captain to the sort of my left as I was looking at it uh, around a very terrain dense uh, board to, to try and kind of hold them off or, or stop them from getting into the camp in the end. But um, I think just the, the way the priorities landed over that side of the, the board just meant that you could sneak away without uh, endangering themselves and, and run around some terrain and uh, essentially run for the, the camp, which, which put, put me kind of on the back foot because I was thinking, right, okay, you know, you're, you're probably going to charge these guys in. You're going to want to get some kills because, you know, I, maybe I underestimated you, <laughs> underestimate you a bit because you said you were new at the game. People tend to like, as you said, charging stuff in, kill some stuff. And the way I'd lost priority, I thought, actually, you've got a good chance of killing three or four dudes there. So um, it's, uh, it's not a bad charge for you. But you wisely f- uh, kept your eyes on the objective and, and went off there. So I, I kind of realized halfway through, I'm not going to get the camp. So I need to focus on breaking and killing the leader, maybe cracking through um, in the end. But basically, the first turn, I had, I think it was 21 guys um, lined up in a, in a, a block uh, with a sealed door kind of in support. Um, and you... Uh, and I'd set it up so that you had a kind of staggered charge, so you could charge two two guys in and charge the things, and then I could maybe wrap around a little bit. And I was thinking here, you've got, what was it, six palace guards? Maybe seven, including the banner, I think, plus Thranduil and uh, Tariel joined a bit later. But I thought, right, I've got 21 guys here. I'm going to smash here, I'm going to hold the ground, I'm going to use my traps to an advantage and get some kills. And it just never happened because those guys chopped, didn't they? Like the first couple of turns, they just took out maybe five, six guys a turn. Yeah, I was really lucky. Those first two rounds of combats, I don't think one of your troops won a fight, which just gave me such a benefit. And I'm only wounded on fives, but we managed to plink up and off that. So those through those two rounds... Well, you're winning on fives, but then within three of uh, Thranduil, it's fours. That's right, yeah, on the four. So we actually killed enough that each one of those combats was actually changing the flow of that battle in the middle. So Mm. your, your... wall which you had was suddenly not as strong as it was after that first round yeah yeah Excellent work by the elves. well yeah it was it was great work because i had things like you know four on um two and uh, and three on two and that so i had quite a, a few fights sort of in my favor but you know elf, fight value is a thing and you've got banner so you've you had enough enough dice just to be able to make sure that you uh you, you got the wins there and then a couple of turns a sealed or kind of didn't do what he needed to do because uh, in the same in the way that um with with my Numenor, uh, you know, last last game I had Elendil, who's got the free heroic combats. He's able to just chop through stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas a Sildor, he 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 hit a few elves and and kind of had to spend might to do heroic combats, and then he didn't win the heroic combat. So he just he needed. To re- I, I was relying on him to be killing like two, maybe three um, uh, palace guard a turn, or uh, what are they called? Uh, they oh, just yeah. The, yeah, just the normal elves, aren't they? Um, a turn, and and he just didn't because he just bounced a couple of times then he had to fight uh, Tauriel once and he didn't kill her because I got I think it was eight dice and I got like two wounds off uh, on looking for fours so it was it was pretty rough and, and I think if he'd have done the work and killed what he was meant to do it would have been a lot harder for you to win in the middle yeah absolutely he managed to stay on the edge like you say he bounced off Tauriel keeping her alive which actually turned out to be a bit clutch later for me because she was quite critical at the end the last few fights uh, he didn't get a chance to put his ring on, which he said mm-hmm. he might put the ring on. That was worrying me. So Thranduil wasn't challenged by him either. 
So yeah, he just didn't really perform. And it also, it, because he was on the edge, it allowed Thranduil not to kill a ton, but each mm. turn he was chewing through people with ease. So it, he, was having a, he was having a larger effect in the middle, perhaps. Than exactly, yeah. Thranduil was doing what Isildur wanted to be doing. He was yeah. killing reliably two, maybe three guys a turn. And I, I think I did well to kind of box him off in, in a sense and, and kind of hold him back and maybe uh, reduce his potential enough. Mm. But, but because, you, as you say, I never got the chance to charge him, him, into him with the Isildur and threaten him with the, the death uh, there that you, your might was basically almost exclusively used for heroic combats and, and Tauriel's mainly I think she struck once and did some moves as well but but generally you know Thranduil was just pumping through and cracking through that line and just you know threatening all the spear spots in the back so so by the end um, there was a, a final turn where you, you shot like four dudes off the board with uh, with your remaining guys but I was kind of cracking through I'd get basically gone right I've, I've given up uh, I'd swung my guys around the this this kind of uh, there's this like an avenue between a, a, a goblin town terrain and a bit of a hill in the middle and a steel door was coming forward so he would and you've, you've blocked him off with, with two guys but like maybe a couple turns he charges these two guys and then gets into the, uh, the storm the camp objective which would be fine but alas it was too little too late because you'd killed the captain very quickly and you, you just my middle melted I think that last round of shooting where I was eight bows and yeah. they killed four Numenorians mm. I think without that you're another turn from being 25% yeah. and yeah. I think this becomes a problem now. You probably threaten my base, and, yeah. and then then it's more of a draw, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think you, you do, you've done it exactly right. Put you've got the roadblocks in the right right place to to be able to stop it. So I, I think realistically, even if that those four guys didn't die uh, that turn, there's so few in the middle now. You've still got Thranduil and Terriel, so they're going to chop those last what five six Numenorians or even less than that, um, and you know, you'd break me pretty quick or 25% me next turn. So I'd probably still be one turn away, but it, it was close enough to be, to be just that, you know, within reach, but not quite, uh, not quite there. Either way, um, Ben, it was, it was a cracking game and your, your elves are really choppy and Thrangel's an absolute beast. Uh, and, and you played it really well. And I know there was things that, you know, helped you a little bit to, to get some moves in the right places and maybe stack some things in the, the right way for you. But generally you can, you can sense you've got the strategy. You're there. You're there. It's, despite how many games have you played? Uh, this is my fifth game fourth or fifth game something like that no but I think you do say a disservice you helped me a lot more <laughs> than I think you perhaps let on there you you know gave me lots of ta- lots of tactical ideas lots of ways to play the game especially with the heroic moves such as the strikes being able to counter the heroic combats mm. uh, things I'd not thought of before how to you know strategically place troops for example what you did with um, basically you kept Thranduil fighting one person a turn I think for like four turns in a row where yeah. he wants to be in with multiple people yeah and, and there was a, a trick I showed you as well with um, there was Tariel was fighting you, you charge one person, then you charge a palace guard into the other. And I said, well, if you just do it this way, Tariel charges two, the palace guard in support, then you've got the extra dice for, for Tariel's blade mistress, and you've got the spear, so, so you can win. So little things like that, which, you know, if you're, if you're relatively new to the game, then you probably haven't quite worked out yet. But uh, either way, uh, you know, you came over to SBG from 40k, is it largely? What, what enticed you? I've just always been a fan of the films, Lord of the Rings. Um, so I remember when the game first released, probably what two thousand and one, somewhere mm. like that. I was given the the big green box, which was the starter set with Moria yeah. goblins and the high elves. Don't know where they've gone. I completely lost those, and then I sort of stopped collecting from that age until last year. Mm. Um, I got hold of some of the books and looked through the armies, and just decided to come up to the shop and buy yeah. buy a load of models. So what what took you so long? Why, why is it taking this I long to get know. back into it? I actually have no good reason for that. Is I, it the slow grow? Do you think? 
the slow grows attracted me. Now I, I was in before the slow grow, but just about the slow mm. grow attracted me in. But I can't, I can't say why. I think it's just I suddenly got the books, and you know now I'm an adult and I have money. <laughs> I can now buy all the models I want. Yeah, I think we're all in the same boat. Well, either way, Ben, best of luck in the rest of the slow grow league. You've got you've got a win under your belt now, so you can you can feel safe despite the fact that I'm you know I'm I'm feeling pretty sad for for having two massive losses. Ben there uh, and another smashing uh, at the hands of a new player. Uh, I'm you know I I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't prejudge, but we all do it, don't we? Let's be honest. Every time we go to a, a tabletop at a tournament, at a, an event, or, or just meeting someone new, we just go, oh, so how long have you played the game? And they go, oh, this is my third game ever. And you're like, fresh meat. <laughs> and then I get absolutely rinsed. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, if I'm completely fair with myself, and, uh, you know, it, nobody likes to hear blaming dice, blah, blah, because it's just boring. But, um, yeah, Isildur was pants in this game. I, like, struggling to kill Tariel on however many dice it was, and it was eight or something stupid like that. Uh, and wounding him on fours, who strength five, and didn't get, like, two wounds or something ridiculous. I can't... I, it, that sort of stuff, you know. And then I, I, I felt like I played the middle pretty well. I had a had a massive amount of dudes surrounding a small amount of elves, and the elves just won the fights. And uh, Thranduil just chopped, uh, uh, and his elves chopped with him because they get plus one. Either way, really pleasurable fight. I really enjoyed uh, the game against Ben there, uh, but it wasn't to be. So maybe that means the the Numenor isn't what it's cut out to be, unless. They can do it at 600, and I have good form at 600 points. So, um, if you may remember, I, at the Grand Prix, if you listened to that episode a few months back, um, this is the 600-point tournament, considered one of the most competitive uh, in the UK, uh, certainly one of them. And I took 600 points worth of Numenor, and I did rather well. Uh, I got in the top... Uh, the second bracket or like the second pod so sort of the top 20 or something like, I can't remember but it was very good I did very well I got like four wins or something on the first day which I was pretty impressed with I, I think it was that maybe it was three and two I don't, either way I did well I did well and I don't think I've done better than uh, since then so uh, this 600 points different to that one that was Elendil and a captain this one is Elendil mounted with a shield uh, banner and spear and shield dude uh, nine spear and shield guys two bowmen with spears then a sealed door mounted with shield. Uh, warrior with a spear and shield. We've got nine of them. Two warriors with spear uh, and bow. And one dude with a shield and a flail. Why did I have a guy with a shield and a flail? Because I had a point left. And I thought, why the hell not? So there's actually a theory. I thought this was a good opportunity to talk about this. I've read in, in a blog somewhere. Uh, I can't remember which blog it was, so apologies if it's your blog. Uh, let me know, entmootpodcast at gmail.com. Um, there's a, a theory that if you have a guy with a flail on the front rank and you charge two people um, and you have a spear support behind your guy with a flail, um, you can flail and you go down to minus one, right? Um, but uh, Sorry, at the to fight one. But you, the guy behind you is spear supporting at fight four, so you're still staying the same fight. And what you do is you flail, having charged two people, and then uh, if you win the fight based on the fight value of the spear guy at the back, which is great, then you can uh, you can hit both people with your flail. So you're getting three dice, including the spear guy at the back, to kill those two people rather than the. Um, uh, rather than the two dice you would have got uh, without the flail. 
and to, to very little negative. So uh, that's the theory. Uh, that's what I've read. Although, of course, in reality, usually you're going to be fighting... If you're going to charge two people, they'll have two spears and support. So you're going to be fighting uh, your three dice against their four. Um, so your chances are you're going to lose the fight, unless maybe maybe against sort of lower fight value stuff. That's the theory, anyway. And I, I didn't... I, I just... I'd read that. I thought, oh, that's uh, fine. I'll try the flail. In reality... It, it just won't ever happen um, but you know it, it might be worth it for an extra point I don't know uh, let me know if you think it's worth doing either way I with that sort of level of confidence I went into game number three of the slow grow 600 points round three of the slow grow here at Imps Gaming and playing after some disastrous losses it's fair to say uh, playing up against Nathan Saunders he's also struggling a little bit in the league um, so before before we get on um, just tell me a little bit about your, your gaming career so far have you been playing SPG long? Uh, no I started um, probably about uh, summer last year I think uh, 2002 sorry um, uh, and I've only had a few de- demo games uh, before kind of actually starting slow grow um, so this is like my third fourth proper game uh, of uh, Middle Earth strategy battle games, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, brilliant. So, so I mean, you've you've gone for um, what I suppose is a relatively common starter game, because or it certainly was when the Pelennor Fields box set. You've got the Army of the Dead or the the uh, Return of the King Legendary Legion. What have you got in your six hundred point version of this list? So, I guess the biggest players are the King of the Dead. Um, I've got Aragorn. Uh, and Legolas as a little bit of uh, bring the artillery mm-hmm. uh, and then I've got a couple of Riders of the Dead and the rest just filled out with uh, your, your standard sword and board troops with a few spears um, all shields of course yeah of course yeah and so so I suppose here you've got 15 troops and you've got three uh, heroes and, and as you mentioned you've got the, the two cavalry which I suppose they're a great idea because you get the potential for grabbing objectives, but they are quite pricey, aren't they? So you've got you've got to really be getting your value out of them. And you've not, as you've said, you've not played many um, games yet. So when you saw Numenor, I explained uh, what Elendil and Isildur does. How did you fancy your chances in Fog of War, which is you know you've got to try and kill Isildur, I've got to try and protect him, and you've got to try and protect one of your heroes. What? How did you fancy your chances? Yeah, I mean I haven't played Fog of War before. It's the first time. So there's a few nuances to trying to find out, discover with how to play the game. Um, but yeah big scary heroes on horses um, really hoping I could try and de-horse them at some point but Legolas just wasn't in a position to do that Um, some pesky buildings in the way (laughs) Uh, sorry Yeah, so, so that is true, to be fair, it's like this is a very terrain-dense map, so it's actually quite easy, despite the 12-inch starter, um, this sort of deployment zone, there is, there's about 100 buildings, it feels like, and so much terrain, and so yeah, I, I was quite, it was quite easy for me to nip backwards and forwards between the terrain to avoid, avoid leggy. I mean, you, you didn't try shooting into combat, but um, to be fair, by that point, there was a lot more threats that were closer uh, at, at bay, weren't there? I was sent a big contingent marching towards Leggy. That's it. I guess that your uh, your scenery piece was going to be in my vicinity, and I hoped that if I could start to chip that away, that would be a decent enough use of uh, Legolas's points mm. and uh, a state, really, to turn and take out. I think he did, actually, three or four... People, oh, yeah. he probably yeah, did the I, most damage out of the whole game, I think. Yeah, I think I sent seven guys that way, and I ended up arriving with no, maybe it was eight guys, and I, I ended up arriving with four, uh, and you killed one in combat. So yeah, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty dicey actually. And and just just quickly on the because I mean I we knew that I had to protect a sealed door, and you had to kill a sealed door. Uh, who did you choose to protect um, in in your army, and why? So I chose to protect the King of the Dead. Um, I thought Legolas would be the obvious choice, and you would know that. <laughs> um, 
uh, and therefore you might think that I would do it anyway. Um, but I thought if I get the king, king's quite robust, defense eight, um, wanted to keep him surrounded by troops, that fell apart. <laughs> but uh, I thought he was probably the best choice for it. His legless is a little bit squishy, bless him. Yeah, I, th I think in a normal game, I would probably agree with you, King of the Dead, he's defense eight, he's got the three fey, he's, he's very solid. Um, but I think perhaps because you had so few troops and you knew that your King of the Dead had to do some work, he had to be stuck into combat, that, you know, maybe it wasn't the best choice. And I chose to kill the King of the Dead for exactly that reason, because I thought Legolas is more likely to be hiding, sneaking behind the lines. I thought you would probably choose to protect him, so I'm still going to try and kill him to make sure that you don't get the points for the protection. But uh, the King of the Dead being right in the centre. And also the great thing about uh, targeting the King of the Dead is with Elendil kicking about with his free heroic combat in his fight seven, I know that I can threaten um, the King of the Dead, I can charge into something, call heroic combat, and you have to strike or you know protect yourself yeah. against him. And, and I was going to take him out with Elendil eventually. That was my plan anyway. I mean, I vastly underestimated his fight seven and yeah. his, his heroic moves. Like, he was a blender. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah uh, live and learn, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, strength five, uh, you know, wounding normal uh, your normal guys on sixes down to, down to fives because of the uh, plus one just meant that, you know, what is usually a massive bonus for, for the Army of the Dead, the defence, it, it kind of evaporated quite quickly. And even the strength four against your Army of the Dead, the, the normal dudes, uh, they struggled, but, you know, they did chip away slowly at your guys. Yeah, yeah. It was just the fight three that got me, mm. I think. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of uh, jewels that uh, we kind of drew and then uh, I lost because of that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it did happen quite a lot and and I think really your your guys probably only killed two or maybe three guys it was quite it was quite harsh actually because considering you're wounding me on fours and I just had so many guys you know and so many dice to win those combat as you say to get the, the drawn fight value One it just died. two took their place yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was it was pretty hard I've got the banner and you've got a six inch thing but also there's a that we mentioned the terrain dense field as well there's this there's this kind of barrier here and um, a sort of four inch long barrier uh, providing a gap between a, maybe a six seven maybe eight inch ba gap between that and a building and this choke point just it was fr really frustrated Aragorn because he kind of he hopped over the line uh, off over this barrier once to heroic combat to chunk chunk into the sidelines but then because of where he was he needed to um jump back over the barrier at one point to uh, allow someone to charge Elendil to pin him down so that the King of Dead can try and assassinate Elendil. So he, Aragorn just felt like he spent too many turns jumping backwards and forwards. And actually falling over it as well. He yeah. had to use a might to get to where I needed him to one turn because he did World of One. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'll have to think about my list is because I need Aragorn being the blender. Mm. But when you have an exposed flank that you want to go for, he's also your banner. Yeah. And then he leaves the vast majority of the army yeah. exposed. So I and think he's also calling the moves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that, that was one of the things that scuppered me as well was I wanted to get one of my ghost riders, um, riders of the dead, sorry, um, away to the objective uh, in the corner, the scenery piece. Um, but he was always just within six inches of Aragorn because Aragorn's in the centre having it. Um, and every time I called the heroic move, he couldn't, my, my rider couldn't do anything. So yeah. I kind so of... So he kind um, of had to be thrown in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I had to throw him in. And then... And then when I finally did get him away, um, he was broken and he failed his courage test. So. Which was rotten. Look, I mean, he, a, a courage six, ride of the dead. The first chance he has to actually escape from this zone, he has to take courage check. You think, what are the chances? And it, double one, double one, of course. Uh, so, uh, my first courage test of the yeah, game as well. Yeah, it was the first courage <laughs> test start. ever. So it, rotten luck there. But yeah, you're right. I think, I think really Aragorn probably wants to be in the centre and maybe use the king of the dead as your flanking force. I mean, perhaps in this example, it's uh, not ideal because you wanted to protect him. But uh, in most uh, missions, 
positions, you probably want him to be doing the work because he's not he's not a killer killer, but he's great at being able to chop away at the flanks because he's only got the two attacks. So you don't want to have him surrounded, but if he's on the flank, then he's kind of more likely to poke in at the edge and just chip away at the sides, perhaps. So, so I think I, that was to your, uh, to your detriment. And then I did mention early on uh, in the game. I said, oh, just so you know, Asil does got the ring, I can jump off the horse and do all this sort of stuff. Uh, and there was a, a moment where you were like, aha, I've got, right, okay, the King of the Dead's going into uh, Elendil. Uh, we called a move, uh, both uh, spent might, I think Aragorn had spent a might to call a move off. And then I, I countered with Elendil on the hope that I'd win the roll off. Um, and the King of the Dead had his point of might. So Elendil was out of might, um, the King of the Dead had one, and... Um, you won the roll-off for that heroic move and sent the King of the Dead in uh, after some sort of manoeuvring. Uh, and then Elendil, uh, sorry, Asildor, hanging around at the back of the line, completely safe because uh, I pulled him away quite quickly because the King of the Dead was kicking about and I knew I had to protect uh, Asildor. So Asildor hops off his horse, pops the ring on, slips through the gaps. Uh, oh, no, it was Aragorn, wasn't it? Excuse me. Sorry, it was Aragorn that I assassinated. I was getting all that, uh, the character wrong. But anyway, uh, it was Aragorn. He, he was going in there to, to chop Elendil's head off with the, with the points of might for his strike. And then Asildor slips in behind him with the ring on and the strike comp- becomes completely pointless. Uh, and essentially, not, not quite that in like one turn, but essentially that, that killed Aragorn. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about the rules of the ring um, and I forgot he could move through models. Uh, so that was, a, that was a good play on your part. I thought he was just playing chickens, keep, keeping him back to the back there so I didn't uh, get a chance to shoot him or kill him or attack him. And uh, yeah, snuck through. I think first round I was okay. Second round I got ganked and obliterated Aragorn. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Was it about eight wounds you did too? <laughs> <laughs> it might have been more, yeah. I don't think I even rolled the last few because uh, it was a bit pointless at that point. But yeah, the uh, yeah, this first turn you did remarkably well. But I hadn't you charged Elendil that turn, so um, it was just the six dice from the uh, from the two heroes, and I think I chipped off a fate or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, the next turn um, I won the roll off uh, with Isildur, his final point of might. Isildur charges in. I had priority, so his his sort of ring didn't matter for the heroic move off stuff. And then eventually Elendil goes in and, and knocks him over and yeah, wipes him out, wipes the floor with uh, with his uh, distant ancestor so and that kind of uh, finished off the game really didn't it yeah yeah I mean I, I vastly underestimated the ring like that being able to halve the fight value even with heroic heroic strikes it's useless yeah. you can't you just can't deal with it so um, yeah I was kind of like hamstrung from that point and yeah, fair play. That was that was pretty much the, my oh last. Oh my god, I've just remembered. He doesn't. He's not allowed the ring when Elendil's in the field. Okay, that was a bit of a cock up. Uh, I've just literally just remembered that. Uh, about cheating earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I have cheated then. Oh, I need to. Uh, okay, so yeah, we'll we'll have to. Ha- well, okay. So um, that has changed things a bit. Um, I don't know how that would change things. It would change things probably a bit. I wouldn't have killed Aragorn uh, if it wasn't for that. Anyway, okay. So uh, you would have played him differently though. You were holding him yeah. back to do that strike you would have done so you would have probably mm-hmm. flanked into my ghosts there for example I or think, my ghost riders I think I might have uh, might have made a boo-boo well I definitely made a boo-boo I might have uh, uh, oh god I can't believe I forgot that and, you've, and I've realised live on the podcast as well this is so stupid anyway so uh, assuming that, that that all went well um, to be fair you weren't protecting Legolas um, which I thought you were so um, I'd killed the King of the Dead with uh, Elendil pretty, pretty comfortably before then and broken you before then as well so uh, I don't think it would have made a massive impact to the game because it was 
was kind of the end end phase of the uh, the match where we were fighting Ellendil against Aragon. So hopefully that wouldn't have made a massive difference. But um, it did turn out to be a 12 nil. Although now that feels a bit hollow. Um, so uh, either way, Nathan, um, well done uh, playing the game. Uh, you know, obviously as you mentioned, this is like your fourth or something game in total. I, I hope you felt like you learned something and I learned a few tricks. A lot through this game. Um, yeah, you've been very very patient, very helpful as well. Um, so you're taking me through some of the things I've done wrong, some tips to play better next time. So yeah. I, it may have been a loss but I've certainly won in knowledge great thank you very much so there you go cheating to beat a player who's only just started the game shame on me shame on me um so yeah that that was an error and it was uh, you could hear you could literally hear the moment um in that interview where I realized what I'd done and I thought I just felt so guilty um I I think I sort of tried to backtrack it at the end uh, with Nathan and just sort of uh, apologise to him and and uh, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I actually don't think, if I'm completely honest, I don't think it would have made a massive difference. I, by that point, uh, the game was kind of over. Um, I I, I, I kind of had the domination area, and he'd I think I'd already killed the king of the deads and stuff. So, I don't think it would have made it made a massive difference. But nonetheless, I did go to uh, tournament organiser Tim and explain the issues, and he said it was fine. So. We got away with it. We got away with it. Yes, the first win in the slow grow. <laughs> uh, okay, not really. Um, but either way, a great, a lovely game. Nathan, absolutely lovely fella. Lovely. Really enjoyed that game. Um, great fun. And it was nice to uh, nice to try Ellen Dill and the sealed door out together, even though they wouldn't usually be able to have the ring as well. So we move on, though, to 700 points. Now, this is, this is a weird list, uh, weird limit, uh, 700 points, because... What I actually wanted to do was just bulk out the rest of those two warbands. So in the last one, I think I had 13 in Elendil's warband, so five short. And um, Isildur had, I think, 12, so three short. So it was eight people short. So do the maths there. Add eight Numenorians, which, you know, you get 10 points at, at most if you give them the spear and a shield. You get 680 points. So just two extras. Done. Um... Yeah, but you can't have two extras, can you? Because it's, you know, warband sizes and stuff. So this is a, actually a really annoying points limit, I thought, because I wanted Elendil and Isildur with full warbands. That is great at 650-plus points, but not at 700. You just can't do it. So what can we do? Well, we just have to add a captain in. Um, so I... So it meant my numbers were going to be sacrificed slightly. So in my uh, illegal list, I had... Um, 36 models uh, again illegal this is assuming Isildur was a hero of legend which in my eyes makes a lot of sense you could you could you were just one model over so I would have had something like um, Elendil with 13 spear and shield dudes and then five bowmen with spears then um, Isildur with 10 warriors with spear and shield and five bows with spear plus a banner that's all I needed. One guy with a banner and spear and a shield, and that would have been exactly 700 points. So a sealed or not being a hero of legend um, took away my 36 model strong army uh, and landed me with a 31 model strong army, which is this. Elendil with his uh, horse and his shield. Uh, one guy with a banner, a spear and a shield. Um, seven warriors with spear and shield. Two bowmen with spears. A sealed or mounted with shield. Uh, he's got seven warriors with spear and shield with him. Uh, two bows with spear. 
one Numenorian with shield, and the flail is back. Yes, it's back, baby. Uh, I don't think I used it. Uh, I, can't even, I don't know if I used it in the uh, previous game. I probably forgot I had it. Um, and then finally, a captain with armor and shield, no horse or lance this time. So we've got it kept it down to 60 points, this captain. So he's just a Mike Caddy um, and defend, and fight five guy, which is fine. He's uh, Armor and shield is, is not to be sniffed at. He becomes defense seven dude, which is... Which is, you know, hard as nails. Um, and he's accompanied by six warriors with spear and shield and two uh, bowmen with spear. And I think this is fine. It, but it's just fine. 31 models at 700 points. Yes, you've got a sealed door and Elendil. But it just... I don't know. I feel like I wanted more models. Um, maybe this is maybe this is doable. Maybe this is a, actually a much better list than I am giving it credit for. But something about it just doesn't feel right. But let's see how it does on the tabletop. So game number four of the Imp Slow Grow. 700 points now, and the mission is destroy the supplies. Playing against Dean. Um, first of all, Dean, um, just give us a run through of, of your list. Uh, up against 700 points of nasty, nasty Numenor with Elendil, Isildur, the captain. Um, what have you brought uh, at 700 points? Okay, so I'm running Gondor today. Um, I've got Boromir with... Um, what has he got? Um, he's got all the kit. He's, <laughs> he's got, got a banner, he's, he's got, got a shield, banner. he's got a horse. He has got eight Fountain Court Guard, um, three Citadel Guard, and three Rangers. Yeah, so the Citadel Guard are the ones with bows as well, so you've yeah. got plenty of firepower there. Uh, who else? Um, so I'm also running Hurin on a horse with three uh, Citadel Knights, or... Just normal, normal knights, knights yeah, yeah. Yeah, normal knights, and another three rangers. And I've also got in gold with ten normal guys and a banner. Ten normal guys and a banner. And um, so, I mean, you, you mentioned that you've got a friend who plays a lot of Numenor uh, fairly regularly, uh, or usually Last Alliance Numenor. But, um, so you knew a bit about what some of these guys did. Bearing in mind this is an objective scenario, we've got to grab the three objectives on, on the opponent's side and burn them uh, to win the game for six points anyway, and then Broken Banner and um, what's the other one? Uh, a leader uh, to get the remaining points. Um, did you fancy your chances? I did, I did, to be honest with you, because um, there was no elves here. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so that, that's true, you've got the fight five, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, so with the, obviously we've got um, Boromir, I don't normally have the fight five with all my guys around him, so I thought, oh, nice, I've actually got a high fight for a change. Yeah, I, I think I think what happened here was um, I, I I spread out my deployment into pretty. To, I kind of separated them out into three fairly sizable war bands in the hope that you would also do the same. And I think that benefits me way more than it benefits you because of your fight five bubble. Um, so in the end, like essentially, we ended up fighting on kind of two large fronts where um, a sealed door and the captain were pushing up as I looked at it to the right uh, against Boromir and um, most of his friends and then Ingold was coming up my left hand side uh, facing up against Elendil and the rest of his gang and my, my, my thought was I should be able to do some pretty quick work with Elendil and his friends, mop up Ingold's warband, stop them from breaking through, uh, and then, you know, uh, maybe he can rejoin the fight and deal with Boromir after he's sort of slugged it out against Isildur for a while. That was my plan. Um, and of course, you have Hurin in here with his cavalry who kind of decided to nip up around the back of the board uh, early on. So 
What, what was your what was your sort of plan here to to try and to try and win? So I was going to try and bait you out with the um, the knights to start with, so a bit of a distraction kind of effects. Um, whilst Hurin was kind of going to run around, just destroy all the objectives. Didn't happen. Mm. Um, I kind of wish I'd put Ingold in the centre of the board instead um, and pushed him up forward with Boromir. So mm. Boromir's got he's pushing back. Because I, I don't I don't win the dice rolls very often. <laughs> well, I, and also you you, you know you, you didn't really kill very much with them either. I, I, it felt like I had the fight value in parts, but you just you was really struggling to capitalize on the wins with your with your fight value in the in the center alongside Boromir. Like the other side, it was fine, but yeah, uh, yeah you really didn't didn't kill much with your dudes. No, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that was partially down to, I guess, I, I, I was choosing the fights a lot. I had more might in this. Well, you had Boromir, but I think you pro- perhaps were looking to call the moves and stuff. But the captain was put, putting the pressure on for the moves. I was winning some of those roll, roll-offs or most of those roll-offs. So I could choose a lot of the fights, put them in my favour. There's a lot of terrain in the, lot of sort of scattered terrain in the centre. So I could get a good chance for a sealed door to just chop around um, the... the you know the fountain court and people like that uh, and clear some space so I, th- I think you just lost a bit too much early on to be able to capitalize on your fight value but once you did capitalize once you did sort of all the lines opened up a sealed or lost at horse that sort of stuff it was it was turning quite quickly in your favor in the center oh, I think. yeah it really was <laughs> it was um it was a bit of a relief for me because to start with i was like oh no i'm being overwhelmed hmm. um Isildur's coming in he's he's hitting hard with his horse he's getting the um the extra hits um on the wounds and I was just like, oh no, um, my guy and my fountain court guard were just disappearing. Mm. Um, but luckily, I've got rangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the rangers were absolutely fantastic. They, somehow they won every single fight they were in. They never lost. If they did lose, they never died. It was they were, they were crazy. There's only about six of them or something like that in total. I mean, uh, that that was crazy. But I think I think uh, what, I, what I was quite happy with was Elendil did did some good work early on and he he killed a lot of your uh, your troops on the the, the left hand side so he was able to uh, sort of threaten both the uh, Hurin who eventually kind of circled around the back he took one of the objectives Hurin did quite quickly but um, I think by the point that Hurin was threatening the middle objective uh, as he moved across uh, the board um, Elendil had done enough work in the the right hand side flank he killed in gold um, and he was able to threaten Curin for uh, you know I, I could heroic combat into him yeah. once, uh, which forced you to spend a point of might to strike, which is brilliant. Uh, then it's those sorts of things happened a couple of times. It just kept you off those back objectives for longer, perhaps yeah. than uh, than you were originally planning. And then Elendil by by doing that was moving into the centre, yes. which which just allowed that massive massive threat of uh, of Elendil to chop stuff in the middle and, and support a sealed door. And at this point, Boromir was very low on might as well. I think he'd only had one point of might left yes. when I was doing that yeah, as well. So he um, came up with the board. I, I I think it was just pretty much one might between us mm. and I didn't want to kind of fight him and Isildur at the same time because yeah. I thought well that's um, going to be Boromir going by so yeah. I kind of brought Boromir back um, held him out for the next few turns um, which was definitely a better idea on my part I think yeah and, and at this point I was kind of I, I just had enough guys in a sealed door uh, uh, sorry Elendil had just arrived so he helped mop up a few extra dudes in the middle which allowed um, a few more to break through the line um, so I got one through the line uh, on the right hand side through the back of Boromir's warbands uh, to grab the objective uh, over that side and the similar sort of thing had been happening over the, the complete other side of the board where you know there was about five or something like that Minister of Warriors against five uh, Numenorians and slowly but surely uh, I, I worked my way through and I was standing on the objective about three turns in a row against a ranger uh, and I couldn't kill him uh, or I couldn't win a fight against him one or the other uh, and uh, it just took ages but I did again eventually just 
wear it through. And because the end conditions here were quartering, um, it, it just allowed that extra time and I could sort of uh, shield and, and make sure the game just lasted long enough to be able to do that. Um, even so, courage was, uh, was a bit of a problem. I had a few guys run away, including my banner at <laughs> yeah. one point, which was very scary because that's one of the, the big things in your list. You have Boromir's banner, incredibly hard to kill, obviously, yes. but also another banner. So you had a real, real backup and kind of an advantage at the start. Yeah, yeah. And obviously when you killed my guy next to my banner and then my banner ran away, I was just like, oh no, was, there's, there's one banner. I was just, just hoping to God that Boromir stayed alive long enough to end the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that didn't end up um, too well for me. Well, yeah, because I, I kind of had to basically go, well, I, Boromir's out of might. Um, n- none of us have might anymore. So I, I was very lucky really to win three priorities on the bounce at the end. Um, I think you were, you were sort of praying actually to, to not win them because you, you were worried about um, uh, uh, some of your rangers running away and things like that. But um, it just gave Ellendil the opportunity to charge Boromir three turns in a row. Yes. Lose three combat. <laughs> well, lose, uh, I think maybe more than that. But at least lots of combats in a row. Uh, and slowly you were chipping him away. Yeah. I mean... I sort of said at one point, we, oh, we're probably going to, the turn's probably, you know, if you kill any two more dudes, uh, this is the end of the game. So, you know, uh, you might want to go for the leader. Yeah. And and you did. And maybe actually now we're looking back at it, it probably would have been better for you to go for the horse. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought about that, um, especially the last turn. I was just like, I gave him too many attacks. So yeah. I, if I'd taken a horse out, which would have been a lot easier, mm. at least I don't have to worry too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but you live and learn. I think the second, because I think it was around three combats that we uh, played and you yeah. won the first one. One. you went for the wound in the first one and you got the wound and I think at that point it probably would have definitely been worth going okay now I'm going to go for the horse I've got the wound I've got AVP off you that's good uh, and I, I think that would have put you in the lead anyway um, and at that point right, but you were still going for Ellendil who's defence seven um, when he's going two handed so he's he's just so hard for Boromir to kill especially without might and he'd got three dice because I'd long long since unhorsed uh, uh, Boromir with a sealed door uh, sometime uh, early on in the game so so yeah I think that might, might have helped you because in the last turn um, Ellendil finally gets the win on the, uh, the combat um, you know eight dice looking for fours because of the five, strength five uh, defense seven down to fours. It's uh, it was uh, just exactly enough wounds to uh, to kill him with the I think it was five five wounds and you'd already spent a point of fate earlier. So so that and that was the big swing that basically won me the game because uh, Boromir dying removed your final banner and also your leader kill and it went from I think it would have been six or uh, sorry five four maybe five, to four. you five four to you or or something like that um, to. 7-4 to me which was huge swing in the very very last turn but um, I, I was counting on Ellen Dill being able to do that anyway and Dean uh, you, you mentioned that you've been playing sort of six months or so and this is a relatively new army for you how have you found it um, during the slow growth because obviously you built it up from, from very tiny tiny points levels um, I'm actually really enjoying it um, I started off with a captain and I think Ingold um, to start with but I absolutely love Ingold. I think he's like probably one of the MVPs. He's sorted me out pretty much most games. Mm. Although I've not fared well, <laughs> but I've enjoyed every game. I mean, I quite enjoy playing Gondor because mm. they're just they're such a dynamic army. They've got so many kind of like troop choices. They've got so many hero options, which I learned as I was going through. Mm. So starting off with a captain, I was just like, oh, 
this is what I've got. But then I realised I could branch out a little bit more. Um, so, but no, I really, really enjoy Gondor. Yeah. Well, you can. T- I think you've got all the constituent elements of a really good list. It's just little fine tweaking here. So, for example, uh, none of your uh, shield guys in this, uh, in Gold's Warband have have spears. Which, if you, even if half of them had spears, uh, you might lose one dude overall, but you'd gain the spear supports, which would have been very helpful over that side. And or, or even the alternative is just splitting up your guys, because you had was it eight or something like that? Uh, fountain court was it? And, um, and eight fountain court. Yeah, card. eight fountain court. And if those guys uh, were halved and, and put into the Ingold Warband and a few more tin cans put into Boromir's Warband, you'd have had the spears everywhere. You'd have had the bodyguard everywhere. You'd have had a good mix of fight four and five uh, <laughs> spread across the the, the field. So I think that, that that probably would have it certainly would have made it harder for me. I don't know whether it would have won you the game. And and the initial thing I know you said you charge your knights into as a kind of a distraction tactic. Um, you charged in when I had uh, I had lost priority. So you went in when you'd won priority, which just meant that I could respond and I could pick and choose the fights. And I ended up just surrounding them, heroic combating with Ellen Dillon, wiping the knights out in one go, which which was just. If you'd have uh, if you'd have just held them back ten inches away, I'd have been very scared of them because they would do a lot of damage if they did win. Uh, instead, you could have just played it slightly more cautiously, waited another turn as a distraction tactic would have been fine. Just needed to needed to be when you'd lost the priority. But other than that, I mean, it was a cracking game. I, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I really enjoyed myself. It was probably one of my best games yet. Well, I mean, you know, what can I say? What can I say? Well, thank you very much, Dean, for playing, and thanks very much for talking to me on the podcast. No, thank you. Cheers. Honestly, this was an absolute thriller of a game. Uh, cracking him against Dean there with his uh, Boromir and so on. And uh, and I think there were, there were parts of me that thought I played this really, really well. Uh, and some minor mistakes on Dean's behalf uh, gave me the win, I think. But but really, uh, it just came down to having a good combination of, you know, when they're just the, the roll-offs go the right way and, and, you know, people die at exactly the right time. And it, it kind of happened. I mean, there was a lot of frustration as well because, you know, I kept losing combats with... Uh, in sort of really in uh, inopportune places as well so it didn't feel like the look was always on my side but it was definitely a cracker of a game uh, 700 points there uh, and another win which is excellent so not doing too too badly now and um, I've got a couple of wins uh, under my belt after the early early string of losses which means I go into the final round the 800 point round uh, with a sort of a chance to redeem uh, my honour uh, so I've got a couple of losses a couple of wins now very excited as we go into 800 points and as I mentioned uh, the 700 points is not really ideal for a sealed door in my head anyway because you don't you don't get quite as many models as I would like uh, 31 at 700 wasn't ace but you know it's it's okay um, but here at 800 points I feel like we're really hitting our stride this is this is where I think uh the the pure Numenor really does well. So finally, the final guy, uh, final list of the Slogro. We start with the main man, Elendil, on a horse with a shield, uh, accompanied by nine spear and shield dudes, uh, a banished spear and shield dude, two bowmen with spears, and three shield boys. Yes, the uh, the spearless dudes are back. Uh, then we've got uh, a captain mounted with armor, shield, lance uh, for seventy five points. Then we've got eight warriors with spear and shield, two bowmen with spear. And we then finish things off with a sealed door with shield and horse um, at the ring, of course, if you can have it, which you can't because uh, Elendil's there. Boo. Uh, then um, Numenorians with spear and shield, eight of them, uh, two spear uh, bowmen and two shieldmen. So in total, we have uh, some pretty full warbands there um, or, you know, sort of, I think two or three off. I think 
really you want maybe if you could possibly have it uh, 850 that might be about right in terms of filling up those warbands but not far off we've got I think 12 in a sealed doors warband 10 in the captain and uh, is that 15 or something in Ellen Dill's warband so yeah yeah so it's pretty good um, so yeah maybe sort of you could you could probably squeeze an extra five or something like that in. but either way you've got 40 models you've got eight bows eight points of might plus those free heroic combats and I like it I really like this list. I think this is really cool. Uh, it's got plenty of threats. I mean, you could potentially do a few more bowmen, actually. Um, I kind of toy that idea in the future, but of, of actually doing a Numenorian army with a third bow. Um, it's just the defense four is a bit... It's just a bit scary, isn't it? But either way, there's lots to be uh, liked about this. You've got two massive hitters, uh, plus the captain is no slouch himself. So how will it do in the final game of the Imps Slow Grow? to make the Numenorians great again. So the final round of the Imps Slow Grow, and of course we're playing to the death. Uh, nice to have a good smash right at the end. We're playing Grant. Uh, Grant has uh, a bit of a Mordor-y mix, but first I'm just intrigued. How did you start off this Slow Grow process? What, what did you start with uh, in the early stages of 400 points? Uh, yeah, so I started off with uh, the Witch King on Armoured Horse uh, and the Mouth of Sauron, uh, backed up with um, some Black Numenorians and a bunch of Orcs, just kept it really simple. Yeah, um, and, and obviously, I, I'm, to spoiler alert, it's, it stayed pretty much the same, but what, yeah. what have you added for the, the other 400 points? You've gotten some cool stuff, it must be said. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so um, I pretty early on realised I needed some knights, so I added some knights into the mix. Um, and as I kind of progressed, I decided to add Shelob, because it's a model I've always wanted to try out. And then for this round, I brought in the Great Beast of Gorgoroth. Yeah, this, this is a cool, this is a cool uh, addition to, to your army. It's just, you've got some of, the, some of the, it's one of those Mordor lists that just looks super cool. And it's really helped by the, uh, the beautiful conversions and sort of basing you've done. Uh, for Shelob, you've got this uh, like promontory rock on one side that she's hanging off and the little Frodo model underneath. Uh, really nicely done. You've got the, the, this sort of sparkle of red of, uh, of Frodo's uh, colour uh, uh, cloaks and stuff like that uh, and Shelob dangling over the top. Lovely contrast. Uh, for the, stands out nicely in the rest of the sort of drab grey and silver and all that sort of the army. But also the Witch King you've got here is beautiful. Uh, it's kind of leaning off or sort of towering off this rock that's sort of leaning forward and pinned to the rock you've got all these gory details. What sort of stuff have you got in there? Yeah, so my best mate plays Gondor and uh, I decided I wanted a couple of poor warriors of Minas Tirith just pinned there as trophies for Mordor yeah it's, it's a really nicely done I, I particularly like that you've done you've kind of converted one of the guys and, and replaced their head with a skull uh, so it just looks like he's this go gory artifact that's been decaying slowly uh, over the years which is uh, really cool really nicely painted army and, and you mentioned the great beast of Gorgroth which they're just cool models aren't they they are beautiful yes yeah. I loved it and, and how have you found, uh, and I know you just added the Great, Great Beast, and we'll talk about this game in a second, but how have you found this uh, Mordor mix? You mentioned Morgul Knights, you've got Mouth of Sauron, Shelob and the Witch King. How did it work? Because Witch King's now on a fell beast. Uh, you mentioned the horse earlier. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely came with its challenges. I'm used to running um, Tin Can Isengard, so I'm used to that defence kind of being a, a, a cushion for me. Yeah. Uh, you don't get that with Orcs, and... I also kind of banked on the terror aspect, which sometimes didn't really pan out the way I kind of hoped. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose in this final round, uh, it's a similar sort of story that I've got the Courage 3 
up to four with my army bonus, but of course down to back to three with the uh, with the Witch King's Harbinger, which which pretty much uh, helped. It meant that I could I could pick and choose a lot of my fights because I've got spears everywhere. I was I was able to do that uh, that relatively easy and not worry too much about it. And of course my heroes are all pretty decent courage as well. So that's that's a pretty tough start for you. And I guess I've got the fight four everywhere. Uh, I was a little bit sort of thinking, well, you've got a lot of strength three, which is useful against my defense five. But ultimately, I, I had, I think we had exactly the same number of models, but a lot of yours were on the beast. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I really needed the numbers, and to be honest, a bit more of an open playing field to get the wrap round because I really struggled to just win the fights. To be honest, in certain places, the orcs just weren't cutting their weight. Yeah, you mentioned the battlefield. So, we're, we're, so obviously, to the death is about breaking, quartering, killing the leader, and uh, having a banner remaining at the end of the game. And the battlefield is this—it's really—it's really densely ter terrain packed. There's very few alleyways to sort of send beasts in, for example, or, or even Chilob or the knights. So that you have quite a lot of large based models, which means that you can't necessarily squeeze through all these gaps. Right, I have three cavalry and then lots of little dudes, so they could fill in the gaps quite easily and, and help me out. But I think uh, ultimately. The, the, the difficulty here was, I think, uh, I, the right combination of priorities early on. I could send Elendil and a Sealdor and a Captain into these quite small gaps uh, into the Numenorean frontline and just call heroic combats with all of them and pretty much take out most of the Numenorean frontline and then uh, then my, Numen my uh, good Numenoreans could help sort of chop away at the rest of them. And that was kind of before even the Witch King, Shelob, or the Mouth of Sauron, or the Beast got into, into there. So you're already really losing troops quite early on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I should have brought the Great Beast in earlier, mm. um, and I probably should have managed the Witch King better as well. Um, I guess I should have taken a page out of Saruman's books and chopped the forest down, to be honest. That would have helped <laughs> movement-wise, yeah. Yeah, it was. There was these three trees that were in the centre and a wall. Uh, yeah, it just... It, it, the terrain did not help you at all. But I think you mentioned uh, moving in the, the beast and stuff. I think there was this... Because uh, Shelob went off on a bit of a detour around the back. I know you were, you were clearly trying to get around the back and, uh, and flank me. Uh, Mouth of Sauron and Knight, or maybe two, uh, went around a tree. So it was all... There was this lots of these kind of loop movements that you're trying to do to kind of flank me and stuff but I think it just meant that I could go large shove my guys forward and, and just try and kill as much stuff as I can before the big threats actually hit and the witch king was the only scary thing in the middle and uh, I think you probably made a bit of a mistake of jumping over the lines and, and charging a couple of dudes and it was in a place where uh, Elendil could call a heroic combat and basically I think was it two or three turns in a row I it, I sucked out. Oh no, it was two turns in a row. I sucked out the mic from uh, uh, the the Witch King by calling the heroic combat and you having to counter strike. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as as the lines clashed, I started to panic that I was like losing a lot of models quickly, and I thought I've got to get the Witch King pulling his weight. That's why I threw him over the line. Then then just didn't realise, you know, like ah, Elendil's there. You know, that's going to sap my might. I'm going to get bogged down. Uh, yeah, it was just a it was just a terrible move there. Yeah, and I think it, it's difficult with something like the Witch King because you don't want to charge into the front line because uh, a Sealdor and the Captain were sort of threatening there. So you don't want to charge directly into a fight six guy who can strike against you. You also don't want to uh, charge into a Captain that can potentially charge you and you know threaten you because he's fight five, you're fight five. So again, and they were just here. I, I think I did. If I'm if I'm tooting my own horn here a little bit, I think I put my heroes all in very clever places, uh, maybe unintentionally, but <laughs> they all, all sort of were perfectly uh, spotted to give you somewhere that's scary to to uh, charge. So you kind of 
you were left in this either stand back and do magic, which against my guys, Elendil obviously with his extra magic resistance, even Estildor with his magical resistance, and you, you didn't really have many choices of where to put him, so I guess it forced you to do that potentially risky move and put him behind the lines. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the only other place I could have gone was the alleyway I was trying to open up for the Great Beast. Yeah. Um, other than that, it was fly over the back ranks and try and use magic, but I was afraid of how well your guys would resist that so yeah yeah it was just kind of stuck really i think i think it was yeah it was it was just the terrain really that just hems you off and and because i have lots of dudes that could maneuver through it it, it really helps and then eventually the, the great beast did arrive and i think he killed four or five guys in a trample but it was a turn too late because the first turn he wanted to trample through an orc and he didn't even kill your own orc and stuff like that <laughs> it was just little annoyances that just just uh, sort of compounded those those already uh, difficult moves you had to make yeah you can't imagine how it uh disappointed I was I've been looking forward to using this great beast and he just bounces off an orc of all <laughs> yeah things. your own orc yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly it's, so. it's very frustrating but you did get some kills from him uh, I think it was five or something like that and then uh, eventually he was sort of chopped down by the weight of Elendil and Isildur's help and things like that so so sadly uh, uh, after all that um, I think Isildur was uh, was doing his work and Elendil was doing his work just chopping away and chopping away uh, the witch king went down sadly not even to Elendil uh, he I think it was the third time on oh, no, the second round of combat he was in he'd struck in the first one he'd struck in the second one uh, and he'd already spent a, a point of might to call a heroic move so he was out of might I was going to charge him the next turn but sadly he didn't even make it to the next turn he, he died to, a, to the hands of uh, something like eight or something Numenorians so yeah, just a bunch of regular Numenorians piled in, and that was enough. Yeah, yeah. All he needed that was—I think it was only—I I think I scored two wounds on him, and he failed uh, all of this fate in the end, actually. But either way, uh, so that—that that, I think once you'd lost him, realistically, the game was kind of over. Like I, you had nothing that could could deal with Elendil or a sealed door, and and you had so little might to be able to do things like call the move with uh, the Mouth of Sauron or whatever to uh, to transfix anyone, and, and even if you could. They had the resistance, so it was it was, it was pretty tricky. But um, as it ended, uh, I think it's just the mouth of Sauron who was just unseated after the great beast trampled, uh, stampeded into him uh, at my hands, uh, and he's the only thing surviving. Shelob just ran away at the last turn. Uh, the great beast dies. So yeah, it was it was quite a quite a bloodbath, a twelve nil win to me at the, uh, in the end. So, uh, but like I say, I don't I don't think you played terribly. It was just a couple of little mistakes here or there that. If you'd have moved, if you'd have moved, maybe your big, big scary stuff in a different way, uh, and and used them more as a triple threat rather than sort of a divided threat, then it may well have made it a lot more difficult for me. Yeah, absolutely. I should have thrown the great beasts in earlier, yep. um, and I should have probably just held the witch king back as a threat. Really, yeah. you know, he had he had the Morgul blade, didn't even get to use that. So. Yeah, and, and actually, he I, I think he died with over 10 points of will so yeah. like you could have definitely spent a couple more turns casting magic uh, trying to even just chipping away at, at uh, the you know the horses or something like that you could have taken away uh, black darted uh, Isildur's or, or Elendil's horses because you know yeah, yes they've got the resistance to magic but at least at least it's a chance so uh, either way Grant it was a, it was a cracking game and uh, I hope you don't feel too bad uh, with the 12-0 loss because you've got such a really cool army with the with uh, all these fantastic designs I can tell you're a you're a you're a 
very very talented painter and very talented conversion uh, converter because there's almost all of Yorks have got something different going on. Yeah, I'm, I hate having models that all look the same. So you know that's my mission and my hobbyist. So yeah, well, brilliant. I, I hope you've enjoyed the slow go. What what did you think of it? I, I don't know how how much you've played before. I think you've been around for a while, haven't you? A couple of years or something like that in the scene. Yeah, so uh, I've, I've played for a little while now, but I'm kind of new to the area, so I figured this was a way to meet new people who I can come and have games with. And yeah, it's been great meeting new people. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, I've really enjoyed our game. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the game. Cheers. So to round off the uh, the Imp Slow Grow League, it's only right to speak to uh, the the coordinator, mastermind, evil mastermind behind the whole thing uh, is Tim Elwes. Welcome back to the podcast once again. I think this is a pretty pretty good run for you in terms of podcast appearances. Uh, yes, <laughs> thank you for having me. And uh, so you've run the, the the slow grow the last couple of years now. I think is is this your third one, the second third one uh, for for Lincoln? I can't remember. Third one, I think, including the sort of rearranged COVID one. But mm. this is including your one. This is the fourth Lincoln slow grow. Really. Yeah, so four years of uh, uh, SBG in Lincoln, which is fantastic. And we've got quite a lot of people now. This league. Um, I mean, I've played. Only people, I think, that I've never played before in uh, over the course of this uh, this episode and, of course, uh, over the league as well. Um, I, how many people did we have at its at its peak? And I know there's obviously people will drop out and, and so on just because of life reasons, but there were quite a few taking part compared with previous years where it was maybe 15, I think, max. At yeah, this is the largest one. Uh, we had 32 players um, and we had, we had actually very few dropouts. Um, I think we had like two dropouts, one of which someone joined later on to replace anyway. So uh, pretty much maintained 32 players from beginning to end, five rounds. What's that? 70, 80 games. Yeah, uh, that everyone played a game. I think there was only maybe one game where I had to go and stand in or, or rearrange draws. So yeah, very well attended, lots of new players and and very well stuck to by everyone. I say stuck to, I mean, I whipped them to make them keep going but uh yeah it was very easy to run this year yeah well I, I mean you did a great job of keeping people on track in terms of trying to get those games organized at the right times and i know some of us were a bit lax on getting them exactly on time but that's fine and um, so so the rules i mean you, you, it was kind of a loosey loosey goosey uh, rules pack in general but you had some encouragement to do things like uh you know bring certain uh, types of armies and, uh, and and things like that and um, i I, what what sort of went into the the thought process behind encouraging certain things, and if you could explain what those were, then that'd be great. Okay, so originally thinking back to the very very first slow grow league that, that we were in, it was kind of like a looseish group of people who were all f- mostly new to the game, who were sort of learning as they were going along. Whereas this time, uh, the thirty two players was roughly split three ways. Um, I think thirteen pretty much new players. Uh, a few fairly fairly competitive players and then a, a group of people sort of in the middle, sort of semi-casual, semi-experienced players. Uh, it dropped at the time when um, Rings of Power had come out and also the GW um, battle host boxes. So this year I changed the, um, the pack or rule set to accommodate a little bit of flexibility. So if someone wanted to bring a Rings of Power... Um, army i would sort of allow people to you know bring a disa or something like that and we'd find a suitable profile to go with it um on the sort of the rule of cool system um i also allowed a little bit of flexibility on army composition early on um to let people who got into it by buying a battle set 
pretty much be able to feel what was in the Gondor battle set, you know, with a Gandalf, even though you'd got more more models than it would be able to take. There was a little bit of flexibility in for that. Mm. Basically, it's always been uh, um, the idea that if you want to play painted or unpainted, it doesn't matter so much. If you, I want people to get games, and it was fairly loosely designed around that. A few little tweaks were done because previously... Um, model armies that have brought particularly high-powered heroes early on have been very difficult depending on the scenario for a newer player to figure out how to kill an Elrond in, in a 400 point game when they've only got some goblins or that sort of thing so um, there was like a sliding scale of what your largest hero could be um, and I think I might have broken that rule actually <laughs> I think I took uh, uh, Elinda did I take Elinda the first one? I can't remember anymore it's been so long now but uh, either way I, I might have done the captain in, instead but either way yeah it, it certainly helped uh, in terms of just, just levelling the playing field I guess that's the idea I ran sort of like a dual point system so you could just keep track of your wins lose and draws on the long shanks which were used but also I ran like a secondary point system that rewarded things that I like to see which is people bringing fairly balanced reasonable armies um, and points for painting so if you turned up with a painted army uh, i gave bonus points for getting say four or eight victory points so even if you lost a game you'd get like a mini bonus point and kind of a lot of and and then you'd get negative points for doing things i don't like which is bringing a really really big hero early on to crush some newer players or bringing a legendary legion but i didn't say you couldn't do it i just tried to gently encourage folks Mm -hmm. to to bring lists that if a newer person came across it, they wouldn't be completely dumbfounded about how to beat a Balrog at 400 points. So uh, with that in mind, uh, you've got, uh, I mean, and I don't, I'm not taking it for a given because obviously you've put a lot of effort but, uh, into organising the slow grows. Uh, are you planning on doing another one and, and what's it going to look like? Ooh! Exclusive um, <laughs> end move. <laughs> uh, this year's slow grow was the largest one and it took a fair amount of, of organising. Um, it, it went fairly well, but no one pays to, to join um, and it's not run for, for anything beyond my own fun. And it's become pretty obvious that trying to get, a, if, if 32, 36 players want to play, they all have kind of differing objectives. And so I didn't feel that that it really catered to its original goal of bringing in new players. Uh, for a long time, I was kind of a bit anti doing another slow grow this year. Lincoln's got a really big player base you know now so mm. there's like over 70 players on my list of lincoln based or lincolnshire based players who've who've been in a slow grow before um and i kind of thought unless there was a big rush of new players come in i wasn't going to do this one year i'd have like a fallow year um and i suggested this to a few people and there was there was there were tears there was like rending of clothes <laughs> so i've i've the last few days i've started to putting together a, a new pack for what will be a probably a January 2024 starts logo. So a fair way off. You know, I like to have that Christmas break between people signing up and getting and cracking and getting their models painted and having a Christmas with, you know, the sixth of death of their kids that can just kick them out and start doing some painting. Well, it's exciting because, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'd have probably been one of those people uh, in tears because it's just a great way of organising your local games. You know, people do local leagues. Uh, slow Grow League's a great way of doing it because uh, if there are people who, it, maybe they're new to Lord of the Rings, but they're uh, old uh, hats at various other systems so they can pick it up quickly, it's a nice way of going, okay, you don't have to buy all your stuff straight away, but you can buy, uh, you know, like you say, a battle host and a captain or something like that, and you can have uh, most of your 400-pint uh, army done, painted, um, you know, 
within a month maybe and then you know you can keep adding to it and it kind of builds that excitement so i'm, I'm excited to hear that another slow grow is back so uh so there you go uh, the slow grow the lincoln slow grow with my with my excellent numenor uh, experience a pure numenor army uh, taking it all the way to the top so there you go, Tim Elwes, uh, organiser of the Slow Grow League, uh, there speaking to me uh, just as that Slow Grow uh, League finished. Uh, finally, it's been good to get round to it. And before that, Grant uh, with his Mordor and the final game at 800 points, leaving me with uh, a, th- a three and two ratio, which is not bad. Um, it's pretty consistent for me, isn't it? That's, I, I don't very often get anything better than that. Um, but still, uh, quite happy with that generally. Um, Annoyingly, I wasn't the best playing, uh, best Numenor player there. Big shout out to Pete Chamberlain, um, who, despite having one fewer victory points than me over the course of the tournament, had a much better margin of victory. Uh, so just pit me. Uh, he got to ninth, I believe, or tenth, uh, ninth or tenth, I think. Uh, but uh, big shout out to Pete uh, from the local area, um, and also to Ash Scott, who won the uh, the tournament as a whole. Uh, he had. Uh, was the only person who went completely unbeaten um, so big shout out to uh, to you Ash if you're listening uh, I know it was a I, I don't know all the details and all the lists but uh, the generic uh, idea of his slow grow was uh, Riders of Rohan um, and the sort of uh, the charge of lots and lots of heroes uh, shouting death and screaming uh, also big shout out to Jason Riley who came second and of course again to Tim for arranging all of this the slow grow is such a fantastic way of getting local people playing uh, getting people meeting up and having some structure to your local games I know lots of places do um, a league of some kind like a, a more of a competitive league uh, and as Tim alluded to that may well be the shape of things for me in the future and uh, although I'll continue doing friendly games occasionally um, it would be nice to have a slow grow league um, uh, or a league of some kind to, to, to do another podcast on next year which will be which would be lovely so um, th- there you go that's that's that and and as I've mentioned it's it's the end of Numenor, um, I might bring it back. Um, I've certainly got some stuff to paint on the painting table. Uh, I found, annoyingly, I thought I'd faint- painted all of my Numenor. One guy. I found this guy with a spear. Um, so I may yet um, dig him out and paint him again um, in, in the sort of the old style that I've used for the rest of them. But I've also got some Rivenel Knights that I've got to paint and a load of Elven Heroes that I've just kind of deposited on my desk in the intention of doing a Last Alliance list and then deciding, you know what? Balrogs are more exciting, so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, Balrogs uh, and and so on. But at the moment, I think it's there's no major project that I'm uh, conjuring up at the moment, other than uh, maybe doing some Moria games. Um, I haven't got as many tournaments um, lined up. Uh, certainly over the summer and um, come September I'll be back into the rhythm of things. But August will be a little bit of a a dead zone in terms of tournaments, unless whispers abroad, mm-hmm. whispers abroad of the potential to go to Ardacon. Could I make it? Will my new wife divorce me on the spot uh, after announcing uh, to her that I might be interested in going to Ardacon the week after we come back from our honeymoon? Will it spell doom for our marriage? Uh, or will I manage to make it to the tabletops to meet some uh, international players? I know there's lots and lots of internationals coming uh, to Manchester for Ardacon this year. Um, a few people have been getting in touch saying, "Oh, are you going to be there?" and uh, and would love me to love to see me and meet me and all that sort of stuff. And and if you're an international player going to Ardacon, send me encouragement to entmootpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, you know, uh, or, or or if you're a married man uh, or woman and you think 
don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> also get in touch at moodpodcast.gmail.com. And while you're there, uh, let me know what you think about scalping, what you think about Goldfish Blue. Uh, should that be allowed? Should it be ever be? Is it ever right to sell toy soldiers at a hugely inflated markup? And, uh, you know, is it exploitative? Or is it just a guy doing business? And that's fine. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks very much for listening. I will be back. Um, uh, I've got the next episode will be a uh, a mini tournament. I say mini because it is mini, but I, the, the, I'm going to struggle with this one, I think, because it's 200 points, um, which is really cool. I'm really excited about that in terms of games. But just in terms of practicalities for doing the podcast, there's not a lot of time between rounds. There's, there's we're, we're meant to play seven games in one day, uh, and they're all going to be around an hour. Um, or sort of 45, 55 minutes, something like that. So if my games finish really quickly, I should be able to get seven games um, in the podcast, which will probably end up being longer than this one. Um, but just based on practicality, I don't think we're going to get uh, all seven. It's just not going to happen because some of those games are going to run over. Um, I'd imagine the whole thing is going to run over. But we'll see what happens. It'll be great to do it. And that's what will happen next time on Entmoot. Thanks for listening. Boorah rum. Boorah rum.